Hello, Forever Family. My name's Shannon. I'm the recovery pastor. I've been reading John 19, the whole chapter. And to save time on, on the length of this message, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I would invite you to read the whole chapter of John 19. As I read through there, there's probably 12 sermons minimum in it. When I read about Pilate saying, I'm going to release someone, and the Jewish leader saying, if you release him, you are not Caesar's friend. You're in opposition to the king. And so they're using peer pressure. And I'll be honest, that's something that just gets under my skin so bad. Even when someone's doing it really subtly and trying to slide under the radar, when my ears pick it up, I'll be honest, I get very angry. I'm like, how dare you use peer pressure when you can't even stand up for yourself? You're having to pressure somebody else into doing something that you won't done. Okay, I'm not going to get on that soapbox. But I would encourage you to read John chapter 19. Tatalista. Tatalista. Everything is complete. It was three o'clock and Jesus had called for water. He, he was thirsty. He could hardly speak. The soldiers put a sponge on the end of the spear and held it up to his lips and it was terribly bitter. But it was enough. As he strained to raise his head, he looked to heaven. He said, it is finished. He cried out and then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. At the time, the moment was filled with so much emotions. But later, as early Christians read John's gospel and you hear the words, it, it really dawns on us the powerfulness of the dying words of Jesus. John wrote his gospel in Greek and those last words of Jesus are basically just one word in Greek, tetalestai. It expresses it's finished. It's part of their everyday language. You know, when a servant has completed a very difficult task that the master had given them, then they would say to the master, Tetelestai, meaning I've overcome all my difficulties and I've completed the job to the best of my abilities. It's finished. When the Jewish people went to the temple for their sacrifice, the high priest would examine what they had brought. Now, he didn't speak Greek necessarily, but there is a Hebrew equivalent to tetalestai, meaning your offering is acceptable. It's perfect. When the merchants in the marketplace would make a sale and money would change hands, he would say, tetalestai. In other words, he's saying the deal is finished. It's complete. The price has been paid. Me as a merchant, you have satisfied your debt for my product. When an artist had finished a painting or a sculpture and they stand back and they look and they say, Tetelestai is finished. There's nothing more they could do to make it better or more appealing. When a young boy would recite his passages to his father or a young girl there before her mother, when they completed this task, they would say, Tetelestai. And the parents would respond, well done. I'm very proud of you. When Jesus spoke these final words, he wasn't just saying, this is the end of me, as if 
He's given up and given in to the enemy and died. His last words were not a final surrender of power to Satan. He wasn't saying to Satan, you've won. He wasn't saying, I'm done. Even though I do believe at that point, hell started to celebrate a false victory. These words don't tell us that Jesus is now dead and gone and done and he's finished and he's just a story that we read. He is finished. Everything that was set before him to do in his life where he fulfilled the scriptures. All of those who read the word to Telestai, the servants of, of those who would bring sacrifice into the temples, the buyers, the sellers, the artists, the parents, the children, they understood that Jesus is saying his job of saving the world is complete. He's finished the task that was sent before him. Jesus paid the full price. He canceled our debts. He satisfied our sin debt. His sacrifice has been a perfect one, acceptable to the Heavenly Father, looking down on His Son, hanging there, lifeless on the cross. To tell us, die. It is finished. It is complete. So what really is finished? What did he mean? Reconciliation is finished. The word reconciliation has been used a lot in connection with relationships between people, between countries, between communities. It's when a rift happens and then there has to be a reconciliation to bring back a harmony. You see, there was a terrible gap that had come between God and all humanity, and it began in the garden. Our offenses, our disobedience, everything that we did that destroyed our relationship with God, we actually did to God. You see, when we act in our sinful flesh, we turn from God to the enemy. We're disrespecting God. If you... Think about the movie Grand Canyon. And I just recently had, had found out about this movie. It's about a tow truck driver. And he's threatened by these five basically troublemakers as he's trying to rescue a terrified motorist. And he says, man, this world ain't supposed to be like this. It ain't supposed to work like this. Maybe you don't know that, but this ain't the way it's supposed to be. He said, I'm supposed to be able to go to work do my job without even asking if I can do it. And that guy over there is supposed to be able to wait in his car without getting ripped off or mugged. Everything is different than what it's supposed to be. He's right. Everything is different. God created a perfect, beautiful world. And he made people to live in harmony and peace with each other. But we don't do it. Look what happens. We all know the effects of poorly chosen words, lack of consideration, strife, grief, pride, greed. Greed and selfishness destroys friendships and separates people and nations. And it basically can start as small as a mustard seed, but so does faith. 
Sin has devastated us. I mean, it just wrecks us. From the moment we first see it, we think about it, it gets planted into our heart, and then comes out through our actions. Sin separates us from God. And if we want to have any hope in actually having a great life, we have to be reconciled back to God. We have to be reconciled back to peace. So God sent his son into the world for that very purpose, to reconcile us back to peace. Jesus died on the cross to get rid of the power that sin had to condemn us. His death bridged the gap of the great gulf between us and God. I had someone once say, if the great gulf could be visualized, think of the Grand Canyon, but a million times wider and deeper. See, when Jesus said it's finished, salvation was finished. Jesus cried out. The restoration of friendships between God and humanity, it was finished. He bridged the gap. He literally is the bridge over that gulf. The task for which God's Son came to earth now is complete. He's won forgiveness for all people. There's nothing else left to do except to live in obedience to God. So why is it even called Good Friday? Certainly wasn't good for Jesus. It's a day that he endured so much pain. He, you know, last night when he was arrested, he started going through the beatings. And today he's been flogged, just beat with the flesh barely hanging onto his body. He's been nailed by his hands and his feet to a wooden cross. Doesn't sound great to me. Really doesn't sound good at all. But the cross is the proof of the powerful love that God has for all of us. Nobody on this earth would do that for us. But God loves us that much. You know, when we think about the extraordinary things that people do, our heroes we hear about, you know, running into buildings and saving people, that's only like a teardrop size of what Jesus did for us. God sent his son into dangerous territories, into territories that the traditional Jewish, Jewish person would not have gone. He allowed his son to be treated cruelly. He stood by and watched as humans did what humans did. They are just nasty. Let's be honest. Brutal, filled with malice, but Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let me say that Jesus did something that hit the core of every Jewish person there. You see, the priest would recite psalms at times of sacrifice. And that was to gain God's favor over the sacrifice. So when Jesus spoke Psalms 22, he got the direct attention of every Jewish person present because he was speaking to their tradition. The reading of the Psalms is viewed in Jewish tradition as, as that vehicle of gaining God's favor, but they would do this in times of trouble, poverty, disease, physical danger, in the synagogues. 
Psalms was recited during services. So in context, Psalms 22, when Jesus cried out, this psalm is, is now revered as the Messianic psalm. It's the one where King David appears to share this, this vision of what will happen. Jesus only shared the first verse, but it's understood for, for those that knew Scripture, memorized Scripture, they understood the whole Psalm 22. I can't help but think about when Paul writes, God has shown us how much he loves us. It was while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. We were God's enemy, but he made us his friend through the death of his son. This is Romans 5. That's how much God loves us. Jesus died because he not, not only loves us, but he took on everything that we deserve so we could have something we don't deserve. When Jesus announced, it is finished, it was very clear and simple. He completed his task. The reason why he came had been fulfilled. We now have forgiveness and salvation because of his victory. I like to think that as Jesus was on the cross, there's part of me that just feels like the enemy was standing somewhere in the crowd. Very proud of what he had done. Very proud of how he used the religious leaders. Sadly, I think we can look around and see many religious leaders that are not upholding scripture, that are not being held accountable to scripture. They like their pedestal and they want to stay on it. And they will do whatever it takes to stay there. Regardless of what we do, when we do it in disobedience, it is what it is. Disobedience. It doesn't matter if you're standing in the pulpit or the jail cell. If you are in disobedience to God, everything you do, Everything I do, we do before an audience of one. And there will come a day when we stand before that audience of one and we are held accountable. On this day, Jesus didn't cherry pick scripture to fit his situation. But as humans, we are so quick to cherry pick scripture that fits our situation. We, we transform scripture and, and twist it around so it fits our situation. So we can feel good about our sin. Instead of our lives being transformed by scripture and changed. You know, in recovery, there's several scriptures that our group, uh, we recite each week. And there's one that says, you know, we are to restore each other gently. But watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Galatians 6 1. That's not saying that I'm going to be tempted by your sin. It's saying that we have to hold each other accountable to Scripture, restore each other gently to Scripture. In other words, come to each other, say, hey, you may not realize how this is coming across. Let's talk about it. Because I may not have a full understanding either. So let's talk about it. But it says, be careful because you could be tempted. In other words, 
If I come to you and go, yeah, that's that's not scriptural, and you explain it to me, but it starts being like, oh, okay, there is a loophole in scripture. We can let this slide. First of all, scripture has no loopholes. It is what it is. Cut and dry. Learn it. Do not apply today's language to it. Learn the context and the history of it. It will speak so loudly. But the minute we let it slide, if you will, and yes, I'm doing air quotations, the minute you let it slide, that is when you become tempted to let your sin slide, again, air quotations, slide, under the radar of Scripture, and you force others to now accept that little bit of sin. Well, sin is sin is sin. We're the ones that put levels onto it. To God, all sin's the same. Gossip is no different from murder. We're the ones that try to justify it. So when we do that, we are now needing to be held accountable to Scripture. Watch yourself or you also may be tempted. It's real quick for a situation to say, and this is my favorite, Jesus says you're to love and forgive everyone. Okay, well, let's finish talking about that conversation. The conversation doesn't stop there. If we're going to talk about forgiveness, then you've got to have repentance of the heart, confession of the heart. There's, there's a process in forgiveness. We don't look at God and go, you're supposed to forgive me. You can't condemn me to hell for my sin. Let me tell you, let me tell you. I want to know how that conversation goes over. Please record that because I would like to know. Scripture tells us we are to confess our hearts. We're to confess to God, to ourselves, and to someone we trust. We have to have a fully repented heart. We have to change our ways. We can't keep doing the same thing over there and then over here and then over there and go, no, no, Jesus said, forgive me. You have to. Jesus said, I have to forgive or if I don't, then I won't be forgiven. You see, my forgiveness is for me, not for you. My forgiveness is for me. Because how I treat you is how God's going to treat me. I fully believe that. I'm really trying not to get on a soapbox about all this. And this is a very hard thing for me not to get on a soapbox about. But let me just wrap up with this. You know, yes, we are to love, but scripture tells us that there's accountability to God's moral law. We're to uphold them. We're to help each other when we stumble. Many don't want the accountability, just like the Pharisees didn't want the accountability. They were using peer pressure. But many of us don't want accountability because it makes us feel like judgment is occurring. And that makes a lot of people uneasy. What's going on in society around us is no different than somebody coming to you and saying, hey, I'm struggling a little bit. Here's an issue. I need help. Now, I believe we're supposed to support them. We're supposed to help them. But the end result is to help them not stay in the same situation over and over and over. In society, I see that 
Many don't want to apply the accountability and the scripture to their issue. They like staying in the same situation over and over and over. I'll be honest, as Christians, if we're not held accountable to scripture and holding people accountable to scripture, and I get some pushback for this phrase, but loving them out of sin, I'm not a judge. But I can speak truth and love. And that's what I want spoke to me. I want truth and love. Because I believe partial truth is a whole lie. Don't tell me a little bit of truth and then smooth it over because you think you're going to hurt my feelings. If my walk doesn't match my talk, tell me. Because if you don't and I keep walking out, then I'm turning my back on everything that happened today. I'm saying that Jesus' death on the cross now is a minimal thing because I don't want my feelings hurt. Jesus didn't go to the cross so we could have this feel-goodism. He went to the cross to take us out of the jaws of death because as Jesus hung on the cross and he's given up his spirit, the enemy's jaws of death we're just drooling, ready to chomp down on every single soul of, that we have. Everyone on this earth. When they put him in the tomb, there's part of me that thinks the enemy was just sitting there looking over his body, taunting him. The Sunday's coming. There is a day coming when Jesus will return. There is a day when every knee will bow. In remembrance of Good Friday, it is good because we were taken out of the jaws of death. We were given redemption and restoration back into a relationship with God. I hope you take this day and everything the enemy throws at you, you remember. Tell him it is finished and he has no hold over you anymore. Let's pray. Dear gracious Lord, I, I get on a soapbox. Gosh, during Lent and Holy Week, I know I get on a soapbox, but it's because my soul is just overwhelmed. Overwhelmed knowing that that cross is mine. I'm the one that should have been on that cross. What you have done for us in the death of Jesus on the cross is so much more than we ever deserve. His death has torn the veil between humanity and you, which has kept us from being able to come into your presence and being able to communicate with you. But that veil's gone now. We can come directly into your presence. We can speak to you all during the day and have an open communication. Because that's what prayer is. It's an ongoing conversation with you. His death has given us forgiveness and hope for life forever in eternity. Everything is complete. We are no longer lost to our sin unless we choose to obey our flesh. May our hearts always be open to confess to you, to be pruned by you, to be stretched and grown by you. And on that day when you call us home, to Talistai, it is finished. 
May we hear, well done, faithful servant. We ask all things in the precious and holy name of your risen son, because Sunday is coming and the grave can't hold him. Amen. Please always remember, speak life, be a blessing. Put your faith feet into action to cause a positive ripple effect. Even when the accountability is hard, receive it with an open heart and give it with words of grace. Much of God, everybody.